Welcome, everyone, to the Fly Guys podcast, episode number two. My name is Justin Goodart, and sitting across from me is Cameron Klein, where we discuss all things Philadelphia Flyers-related hockey, NHL, and whatever the heck else we feel like talking about, Cameron. <laughs> we are not wearing Flyers gear. Today, you're sporting your Miami Dolphins gear, and I'm supporting my Philadelphia Eagles gear. But, Cameron, Merry Christmas. Uh, Happy New Year. How were, uh, how was the holiday season to you? Same to you. It was good. It was good, dude. Uh, but, yeah, speaking of, of Flyers things, I was looking today. I was hoping to have a jersey for this and, you know, the game tomorrow. Um, I can't find in the Philadelphia area anywhere a Sean Couturier jersey. No? that, that Well, I mean, the thing is that they're either sold out or something more sinister. They're not selling them. Yeah. Because if I go to Models at the Chamonix Mall, mm-hmm. what will happen is I see Gaspar, yep. I see Provorov. Yep. I, I was know there today, too. Yeah, I see I Hart, and then I see Giroux. Yeah. Uh, no Couturier, though, which is kind of surprising, considering that he's probably the most popular guy on the team outside of Konechny. He's up there, definitely, yeah. I mean, like, what was it, last season he had the 30-goal season? It's yeah, I, off, he know. hit the thirty goal season. He, I, he was he was stuck on twenty nine forever. I know yeah. a couple seasons ago. Yeah, but regardless, I I also am waiting on my Flyers jersey. My girlfriend has told me. Jenna told me that she's uh she's got one for me. So okay. yeah, I'm I'm thinking I'm gonna have to custom make one, which I'd rather not. But you know, it depends. I might do that. I might do. I'm thinking actually a, a hockey fights cancer Lindblom one too. It's between you know what? Two. It's become a very popular yeah. jersey and one that. A lot of teams outside of the Flyers are starting to wear because oh, yeah. uh, one thing that you can say about the NHL with the whole Oscar Lindblom situation is they they came together. You know, you saw like the Pittsburgh Penguins put out a tweet mm-hmm. in yeah. supporting of Oscar Lindblom. That's the great thing about the NHL is yeah. this is not the first time we've seen this before where this community comes together and rallies around an opposing player or a player on your very own team. So it was just awesome to see that. It's just a horrible situation, though. Yeah, you see you see a lot of camaraderie, especially like in in like let's say All Star Week when you see those events stuff like that every hockey player is essentially a brother to a certain mm-hmm. point because they all experience hockey the same way and they all have the same love for the game so even though you know they wear different jerseys they're on different teams are all trying to compete to be the best at the end of the day it's it's a brotherhood and it's a bond and yeah we definitely saw that like you said with the penguins um you know the new york ranger game right before the break all of them are wearing the oscar strong so shirts. much respect to the rangers oh, for yeah. that uh, and that's a hated rival you know i, I hate um, the rangers yeah. yeah me too but for them to do that and just you know the i believe it was what was it the minnesota wild that put up a a nice you know graphic on their big screen for oscar lindblom during our road trip when all this was really coming down it was just phenomenal just to get the chance to see that but we'll talk about a little bit we'll we'll kind of incorporate that into this first topic that we're going to have the resiliency of this group i titled this topic as and i when we last left off one thing that we talked about was how excited we were for the youth of this team. They were heading into a big road trip, and we said, just give us three of six. Give us three of six points, and we'll you know, be totally fine. So we lost Travis Connecting. We knew that going into that game, that he wasn't going to yeah. play. And we thought, yep. eh, Colorado's going to be a tough one. So they lose a tough game. I think it was you that told me you were proud for the way that they battled in that game against Colorado. I wasn't sure if it was you or someone else, but uh, they lose a tough one to Colorado. Yeah. And then the next day, it was like, it was like a meteor hit the earth when mm-hmm. Oscar Lindblom's diagnosis came to light, and it was almost as if the season was over right there. Not not saying that they couldn't pull through. It, was, it just felt like it was the end of the season. Oscar Lindblom diagnosed with a uh, rare form of bone cancer, and yeah, you could tell that it impacted them for the rest of those last two games. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, and they were also lo- lo- you know missing other pieces, missing Michael Roffel. 
Uh, I believe they were missing Scott Lawton a little bit for that as well. I think he got um, hurt like in the last. It was either the Wild game or the or the Jets game that he got hurt. Not to mention they were also missing Phil Myers. It yeah. was like this injury bug. And plus, you have the Joel Therapy suspension as well too. It was a ridiculous suspension. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was the dumbest suspension I've seen. That earned him three games. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I just you see that, and then you also see Brady Kachuk jumping scott lawton and he gets you know a fine a little he got he got a two thousand five hundred dollar yeah, fine right but you know you know it is what it is yeah. yeah but the point was is that you lost your at the time it was your leading goal scorer yeah and just a guy that you know everyone talks about oh the one gem that ron hextall found was oscar lindblom as a fifth round pick he wasn't the only gem but my goodness did he has he turned out to be such a special player yeah. but then you learn about what he's like personally and it, you kind of knew what he was like personally before this whole injury, injury, this 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 diagnosis came down. But what you knew about him was that he was a, he, he smiled a lot, and you know he was just a fun loving guy. Who, yeah. you know, gets along with just about everyone on the team. Best friends with guys like TK and and Patrick. So when this comes down, you know it, it feels like a part of you. If you're so invested in this team like you and I are, it just kind of feels like a part of you. You know, kind of goes with this. Um, as a result. The Flyers fans rallied in the way that they could around their team, and the Flyers players did struggle a little bit. I think, you know, you mentioned the the injuries to other players, but I definitely believe that it carried a really big burden on their shoulders for the th- first three games as they were trying to read, you know, find like these ways to fill these holes. But since then, not only have they continued to rally around Oscar Lindblom as he goes through his treatment. But they're back to playing the hockey that they were playing before this 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 terrible wave of injuries and just horrible circumstances hit them. And honestly, the the last week of hockey that I saw was the best hockey that I've seen all year from the Flyers, and in a point where they really needed it. Yeah, I mean, I I was super proud of them. Um, like you said, I mean, there's three games they lose on the road trip, and but they come right back. They have a great home winning percentage. Which they obviously capitalized as soon as they played against the thirteen Ducks. two and four at home. Yeah, I mean, absolutely phenomenal. Um, then they played against Buffalo, thrashed them six to one. I ca- I thought it was a joke at certain points. I remember I was driving home from Wawa and I turned my car off. I was listening to to ninety seven five, listening to Tim Saunders, my man, my my, my main man, Tim Saunders. And uh, <laughs> and as soon as I turn it off, I, I see another notification, another goal scored, and I'm just like, okay, that must have been like a, one that happened, you know, earlier that just came through. Nope, it was another one. They just kept racking it on, and um, you see. But we talk about the impacts that individual players can have, and you saw it especially with Buffalo. I mean, Jack Eichel. I mean, him for, not playing was it was a huge loss to that team. He I'm amounts not, for about ten percent of their shots total. One player, and, and that's unheard of. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing about Buffalo is that you know we're waiting for Buffalo to kind of turn the corner and become what they were back in the late you know mid two thousands. Right. But what I learned with this game is, you take one guy off the ice, and granted, it's a it's a he's a great player. They can't be that. They, they there's no yeah, excuse yeah. for losing six to one in oh, a yeah. game like that. But you know who the Flyers did have? Who did the Flyers get back? They Travis got back Travis Connect. Yeah. And you saw it against Anaheim. You saw it against Buffalo. And you yeah. saw it against Ottawa. And you especially saw it against the Rangers in that third period. When they have this guy, the energy's up. They're quicker. They're more tenacious. And they just they they they're grinders. They're all mm-hmm. real hard nosed players. Yeah. So you pull you pull up the stats right there. Travis Connecting leads the team with 33 points. I don't even know what he's on pace for. It could be on pace for, I think, around 90 points. Sean Couturier is second. Jake Vorchuk third. Claude Giroux fourth. But there's one player that I haven't mentioned there that's fifth. 
and it's mm-hmm. and I don't really care about the assists when it comes to no, this guy. No. But James Van Riemsdyk has finally got some luck in his corner, dude, and is finally going in the net. Talk talk about turning it around. I mean, it was only a couple games ago that people were talking about him and how he needs to step it up and how he keeps having these opportunities, but he's not capitalizing on them. And look at him now. I mean, he's got what I think five goals in his last seven games, something like that. It's some number like Let's that. See. That one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight points in his last five games. Yeah, five goals in his last five games, right there. Yeah. And you know, we talk about who was going to need to start stepping up with him out. Well, Lindblom has kind of been that JVR type player. Yeah. So JVR goes back to being JVR, and now what you're seeing is. His productivity is not only going to get him more minutes, but it's going to improve the power play. That's where JVR is at his best. Oh, yeah. Him on the power play. It's why the Flyers were able to replace him so well with Wayne Simmons, because oh, yeah. Wayne Simmons was the exact same way. So if you have a hot JVR, a guy who historically gets 29, 30 goals a season, yeah. you're going to be in a great situation. But just let's talk about the, the week in review for a moment. Okay. They beat Anaheim 4-1. That was a game that they should have won. I thought they'll take care of Anaheim. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then they destroyed Buffalo, like we talked about. I wasn't expecting them to destroy them. I thought they'd win. Especially with Jack Eichel out. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah sure. They go to I, – I tell you, I'm really happy to be done with Ottawa for the season. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm so happy to be to done me, with that. To me, that was the biggest test of the last week, essentially, other than the Winnipeg game. Um, but I love that they went with Brian Elliott for that game. Mm-hmm. And wanted, you and I talked about what they would do for that. Yeah. we. I mean, we both said how we wanted – Carter Hart to basically finish off before the break against the New York Rangers, but you had to start Brian Elliott because you can't have him go two weeks after the the fiasco that was the Winnipeg game. You can't have him go two weeks without playing again because he's just going to stew in that confidence. So to put him back out there and to to trust him when it got uh, you know to the point where it was four four going into overtime and to trust him, keep him in there and have him essentially finish out the game was a huge confidence he allowed four goals but he was phenomenal in that game he was huge in that first period because ottawa i think ripped off like 18 shots against him Mm -hmm. you know ottawa has just had they've always been a thorn in the flyers backside but yeah as it was happening i was putting my hands on my head i was like okay here we go again because like you said ottawa all season all season ottawa has been a problem for us Mm -hmm. and i don't know why ottawa is such a problem maybe they just match up very well with the flyers but guys like duclair and Kachuk have just been, I mean, look, if I never see Brady Kachuk again, it'll be too soon <laughs> in my life. But they get the win there in a shootout, no less. And we hate shootouts in Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah. And then they come home. And this was the game that I thought, okay, this is going to be this is gonna be really an interesting test for them. This is the youngest team in the NHL that they're playing against. Mm-hmm. But they're going up against their their what used to be their kryptonite in Henrik Lundqvist. Oh, my goodness, yeah. And through two periods, you're like, all right, this is about what you expected. Henrik Lundqvist shutting down the Flyers. And then it all it took was one little wrist snapper from Kevin Hayes. And the floodgates once again became open. Yeah. Just like they did against Buffalo and just like they did against Toronto. Kevin Hayes has been one of the most key players for this team over the last month. I love him. We I- have talked about how he, you know, in the early part of the season, he wasn't really producing. But here he is. You just bring up his stats again. Let's take a look. So he's got three goals in his last five. He's got four assists. So he's got seven seven points in his last five games. He has points in back-to-back games against Ottawa. Or I'm sorry, points in back-to-back-to-back games with Buffalo, Ottawa, and New York. And he's a leader. He's yes. just a great 100%. leader and an amazing presence for the team. 
I can't believe that people didn't want them to sign this guy. Oh, yeah. Or didn't, weren't happy about the trade when they, you know, got him back in whenever it was before the free agency period started. Yeah, it was right around late June. Um, But, yeah, it it was a big question mark, right? Because the thing is, he's never really been in – he hasn't often been put into offensive roles. Mostly he's been defensive, especially when he was with New York, especially when he was with AV. So I think a lot of people's fear was that when we signed him, that Elaine Vigneault was going to basically do with him what he did with him in New York, only put him in the defensive zone, only really put him on the penalty kill, have him focus there. But he's showing, like he said, when he said while he was being signed by us, while he was criticizing essentially, without saying it, the Winnipeg Jets and the New York Rangers, of not allowing him to use his offensive skill set. And he's proving that he has an offensive skill set. I mean, he has been on fire. And those two goals against New York, those felt good for him. I, I mean, uh, you I'm, could they see had it. to have felt good. Oh. And you could tell that Henrik Lundqvist wanted those goals back because he was really frustrated for oh, letting yeah. him get through them. But, you know, these are guys that have all stepped up. You know, JVR mm. and Kevin Hayes. And, you know, I, I believe, you know, even defensive guys have stepped up since this whole fiasco with injuries and, and the eventual diagnosis of uh, Oscar Lindblom. But the, the biggest difference I see when I look at the stats from this team as of a team from a couple years ago is the plus-minus. I mean, That is a good point. Two years ago, if you looked at our plus-minus, there was maybe one or two players in the plus category. And it would have been typically like Couturier because he's yeah. the best two-way player we have. Yeah. But now, I mean, I mean it's majority Look at Gossespair. Gossespair has a, has a plus. And... Uh, I think our worst plus minus is, I believe it's Justin Braun, but that's because mm-hmm. he's on he's on the penalty kill unit. He's on he, the most defensive positions, yeah, mm-hmm. of course. So there are guys here that are in such plus territory that it makes like look at look at Phil Myers, look at oh, Phil Myers plus I minus. Know. I was just gonna say that. What 18, does that tell you? Eighteen in the plus minus. I mean, he is. I mean, he's the best defenseman. I mean, there's no doubt. He is the best defenseman. Eleven we have. points, 18, 18 on the plus minus. I mean, he's just absolutely phenomenal playing. He's had just having a hell of a year. This is a team that has Phil Myers, who is probably one of the brightest defensive prospects we've had in a long time, and then the emergence of third year, uh, or for third, I believe it's third year Ivan Provorov. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Yeah, uh, Ivan Provorov is proving everyone that he is more than deserving of that contract. Yeah. He is a leader. He is a scorer, as it turns out, yeah. and he's just so technically sound on defense, which, again, we've credited before with pairing him with Matt Niskanen, oh, yeah. who also is a plus. Like I said, everyone almost on this team is Essentially, a plus. Essentially, yeah, except for a handful of them. And again, Ironically, Kevin Hayes is not a he's, plus. He's not, but again, you put him on the penalty kill. Most of the guys that are not a plus are guys who are heavily on the penalty kill. Michael Roffel, a minus four. Morgan Frost, a minus one. Again, he's a rookie. you got to give him some time. Robert Haig, another one, a minus three. And and the, unfortunately, the kind of obvious one is Chris Stewart, the minor six. I, you know, I love Stewart. I love I love his energy. I love what he brings to the team. But at the same time, you know, in, in terms of his skill he's set. not a guy that I necessarily want to be getting. I mean, if this team's going to be a playoff team, Chris Stewart can't be on your on your active roster. Yeah, he has to be yeah. a healthy scratch. Yeah, bearing he, bearing injuries or some some kind of you know other thing is, happening. There are some guys here that I have some questions for that I wanted to ask you about. Okay, we're going to start with Mikhail Vorobiev. Mm-hmm. Mikhail Borobiev, you know, he kind of flips back and forth. Phantoms, Flyers, Phantoms, Flyers. Yeah. Do you see a long-term position for him on this team for this season? For this season, if everyone is healthy, I don't. No. Um, I, I Where he is at is where I love him. Because, to me, he is a solid fourth-line player. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's a great fourth-line player. He's no Scott Lawton on the fourth line. He's no Mike Roffel on the fourth line. 
but he's a solid fourth line player. So barring injuries or some kind of all, you know other setback, it's great to have him around. But again, you got Michael Raffle, you got Scott Lawton. Both mm-hmm. guys are having tremendous seasons. And then you got the other young guys. You got Morgan Frost. You got Joel Farabee. These other guys who I think are the future of the team, mm-hmm. and they need to be developed. Therefore, I think they should get those positions. Well, I, I agree Robert. there. There's one guy that you didn't mention that I feel like isn't getting talked about a whole lot on the Flyers. Tyler Pitlick, who I didn't even know who he was when we first signed him. I thought, is he? I thought, he must have been with the Phantoms. No, he was actually with Edmonton. Yeah. And Tyler Pitlick, he's only got three goals and five assists, but... The guy plays like a second liner out there, chasing oh, yeah. the pucks, and he's scrappy, and he's always going after the loose puck there. His, I mean, his profile picture, his cover picture on NHL.com <laughs> for stats still has him with the Dallas Stars, but it was the Dallas, not not Edmonton. Oh, no, he wasn't. Well, he was, oh, he was, my, on, he was on Edmonton. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't crazy. All no, right. No, yeah, you, you had it right. He had a career high in the 2017-2018 season. He had 27 points. Uh, he has not been the same since then. Of course, he hasn't played as many games since then. As a matter of fact, up till now, between 2018 and 2019 and this season, he still has not played as many total games as he did during the 2017-2018 season. Yeah, yeah, he, I, he suffered a little bit of an injury in the 2018-19 season, which I guess, which obviously slowed him down. But, I mean, yeah, he's not putting up huge numbers, but like you said, he has this energy about him that it reminds me of Wayne Simmons, essentially, without the skill, no offense mm-hmm. to him. But when I, I mean... You know, say what you will about Wayne Simmons because he joined that you know other team in New Jersey, which we don't talk about. But um, no, they, we can talk about them. They we stink. can, we can, yeah. But I don't like to talk about Wayne, you know, in association <laughs> with them. Uh, but but yeah, I just remember when Wayne Simmons was on the team. Every time he was on the ice, he was somewhere near the puck. He was always within like the camera shot, essentially of where the puck was. And you see the same thing with Pitlick. I mean, eighteen is flying around all over the place. The and these are part. these are things you didn't see with other fourth line guys like Chris no. Vandevelde and Pierre Edward Belmar. These, I just never saw that out of these guys. You know, I looked at those two players, and I thought, yeah, that's why you put them on the fourth line. I look at Pitlick, right. and I'm like, our fourth line is maybe one of the strongest units on our team because of guys like Tyler Pitlick. Yeah. And it all comes back to what Elaine Vigneault's biggest challenge was, you know, let's not talk about the Oscar Lindblom situation. Let's not talk about the injuries. He had to create a team. He had to get this team together, which has underperformed for years now. And ultimately, I looked at them coming into the season. I thought they'd be good. But at the end of the day, I thought this is like a great band of misfits. You know, they, I don't know what they are at this point. He has taken this band of misfits and he's finding roles for them and finding the way to get the absolute best that, they, that he can out of them. This team is motivated. This team is having fun. And it starts with guys like Pitlick. And it starts with guys with like uh, Jam- James Van Riemsdyk, who aren't the stars on the team, in my opinion. But their roles are defined and they're critical that they can complete those in an efficient way. He's getting that out of these guys. And it's allowing guys like Couturier, TK, and Giroux to really feed off that and get the most out of themselves as well. Yeah, no, I would completely agree. It seems, like you said, I mean, a good coach is someone who's able to take their players and highlight what they're good at and hide their faults. And for the most part, he's doing a very good job of that from what I've seen. He holds players accountable, but at the same time, he gives them room. He allows them room to breathe. He allows them to to go out and try something that they might not be comfortable doing. And the first thing that I think of is Ivan Provorov, how offensively he's become. And I think a a big part of that is because of Lane Vigneault. I mean, that goal against Montreal, we've talked about last time. We're going to – I mean, that replays in my head. When you mention it, I can just – I remember watching the screen going – 
He's not trying that move. Oh my god, he's trying. Oh my god, it worked. And it worked. We won and the game. Scored. Yeah, he scored. And and I think a big thing of that is because Olivier Yo trusts his players. He he. It's I see it all the time. He trusts his players. He trusts his goaltenders. He pulls. He if we're down by one or two goals with five minutes left, he pulls pull the goalie. Goal. He's like, let's go get the goal because he trusts his players. Mm-hmm. He trusts the weapons that he has in his team. He trusts the defense to be able to lock things down. And you know, I don't, I don't know if there's if it's more strategy, if it's more just mentality. But you know, when you look at him compared to Hackstall and, and other coaches we've had before recently, it, it's just a completely different mindset, and it seems like it just the team is completely revitalized. With you it. can even say Craig Berube, who I thought you know might have gotten his first NHL coaching job, maybe just a tad too soon. He probably wasn't ready for it, in my mm. opinion. I, 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 a lot of people seem to like him. I was not a fan of his work in Philadelphia. Didn't think he did that good of a job with the Flyers. But one thing can be said for certain, you know. Craig Berube got the most out of his guys in St. Louis, and oh, yeah. he found those roles for him, which might have been from his time in Philadelphia and learning. And I think Elaine yeah. Vigneault is a guy that he learned from Vancouver, and he learned from New York. And Philadelphia is a place where he's putting all of those things together. Now, I'm not saying we're going to win a cup this year, and I'm not saying that you know it's without a doubt we're going to win a cup with Elaine Vigneault, but I personally believe that they can. And it's because that they have such a, an adult in the room and because of that leadership that Elaine Vigneault has, you can see it's translating on the players. And you got to think, too, a guy like Elaine Vigneault, you see him all the time. You see how just intense he looks on oh, the yeah. bench. You see how intense he is in you know the, the behind-the-scenes footage of when he's talking to the players and whatnot. I mean, again, he holds players accountable. He does not mince words, but he's a really, really intense guy. That guy has been to the Stanley Cup twice now with two different teams. You don't think he wants to—it's just itching at him? That he doesn't he have those wants, nights replaying in his head all the time. I'm sure how close he got. I'm sure there are nights where he thinks about Game Seven between Vancouver and Boston. Oh, absolutely, because that was Vancouver's series to lose. That was a that was a brutal series. I mean, that I mean, was it, it's, a it, extremely it destroyed the series. franchise. The yeah. fran- they haven't been the same since they lost that series. No, and then New York. I thought they were going to win that series that year against the Kings. I thought they just had the better four checking team. They had beaten mm-hmm. us in the playoffs, and I just remember thinking, this team is just so good. When it comes to creating turnovers and forechecking and all that, and you know the Kings, you know I we knew who we were, we were, we didn't realize what they were about to become. And, and I think too, the other thing was is that the Kings were just a much younger team. Mm, so oh they, yeah, they, they were faster. They, they exactly they had a goaltender yep. who was playing lights out. Who honestly, you know, is has not been playing like himself the last couple of years, uh, but yeah. for the time was maybe the best goalie in the NHL. Oh, he put up he, the 2012 season, so the one before when they when beat, they beat the Devils, the Devils. I mean, he put up a nine three one that playoff series. I mean, it's unheard of three one. It's it's. It, I mean, that's just that's just insanity to me. But yeah, I I like like you said, the Kings that series in twenty fourteen, they were younger, therefore they were faster. They had just more energy and it was just more sustained, a little bit better. But again, you saw what Elaine Vigneault did with a with a no offense, but a pretty old team, and he was still able to almost get it done. I mean. One of the highest scoring players on that team that year was Marty St. Louis, who was like 41 <laughs> years old. Uh, Marty St. Remember when he, I don't know if you remember, but I think he punched, what was the young Flyers guy? He like punched right in the nose from knocking him down. He's not on the team anymore. Oh my gosh, that's going to burn me up. I don't remember, but I I mean, I do remember it happening. I see his face. I remember him punching him. They're not going to call it penalty on Marty St. Louis. No, are they? no, they're not. Nicest guy in the world. Speaking of goalies, though, let's talk about our goalie. Let's talk about young Carter Hart, who is now 13-7-3 this season, and the numbers are getting better 
and they're getting better, and they're getting better. He has a 227 goals against average with a save percentage of 916. And 916, I honestly think, is below what he can honestly be. I, I'm glad you actually pulled this up. So who leads the league in wins? Frederick Anderson, because the, mm-hmm. they literally have no one else to play. Carter Hart <laughs> is, 13, is 14th in the league in wins. Um, yeah, go down on save percentage. I want to see Let's where see. he's listed as. Yep. That's, that's uh, the opposite. There that's yeah. the opposite. Let's see. Uh, yeah, we, I'd like to try to avoid. I wish there was a way you could filter it a little bit yeah, better. Yeah, so I mean, you know, there should be like a minimum game, game threshold. Yeah. But, but let's go down here. I think he has a Carter Hart is listed six. as 20th. But again, that's including the players that have only played one game, you mm-hmm. know, two games, three games, that kind of thing. You know, what's really interesting here is Carter Hart, his road numbers are nowhere near as good as his home numbers, which I think will change. But let me just give you his right. last. Let me just give you his last three games. His last three games, which were at home against New York, Buffalo, and Anaheim, uh, thirty-four to thirty-five against New York, a nine-seven-one save percentage against Buffalo, sixteen out of seventeen. They got no shots on him that game. Wow. Yeah, nothing. Uh, sixteen out of seventeen, a nine-four-one save percentage, and then against Anaheim, forty out of forty-one for a nine-seven-six. You think Anaheim's a bad team? And I think Anaheim's a bad team, but they still got players on that team. Oh, yeah. Ryan Getzlav, and they have uh, Bobby Ryan. So this is not a is, that's not a nobody team. No, no, it's not. Uh, it's it's again, it's weird. It's one of those teams where it's like the San Jose Sharks, where you look at them and it's just odd. You just wonder, like it, you're kind of perplexed a little bit of like how are they not, how are they not better? How are they not a, a consistently winning team? But yeah, I mean, like you said, he's playing phenomenally well. Like. The, f- the first month of the season, he he fell off a little bit. But that's the thing is, I love to see that. There's a quote, and I forget who it is that, that says it, but they say they don't like a success story. They like what they like better as a story where somebody messes up, and yet they're able to come back and still have be a success story at the end of it. And you're seeing that with this season with Carter Hart. Yeah. He had, a, again, a not very good September, or not very good October, but it comes back November and just starts tearing it up. I, f- I think it was the Toronto game where we allowed, I think it was 40-some shots, and it could be Toronto, it could be Tampa Bay. I'm, it's blank. Well, we haven't, I don't think, it probably was Toronto, because I don't think we've played Tampa Bay yet. You're right, you're right. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm, it's a blue team with a T, that's why it keeps popping <laughs> in my head. But, um, but yeah, he went from a 906 to a 912 in that one That was game the alone. game, I believe, where it was the game we kind of pulled away at the end. Yes. I believe it yeah. was. And by the way, I just said Bobby Ryan be on the Ducks. Bobby Ryan's on the Ottawa Senators. I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. I was probably thinking of Jacob Silverberg. But yeah, I know yeah. I know what the point that you're making is. Uh, how many good shots do they have on goal in that game? I pull up, yeah, team stats. Let's see, let's see let's see what they had. So they had 28 shots on goal in That's that game. Wrong, wrong game I'm thinking of. But to be fair, they played him three other times. Yeah, right. Uh, the thing is, though... That 28 shots on goal, you might think that that's not as many as you were thinking, but they were peppering him in that third period. Or in that second and third period, they really started to pepper at him. And that's not a team without talent. John Tavares and Austin Matthews, they didn't have Mitch Marner for that game because he was hurt. But they had Barry, uh, 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 Joe Barry, who's a good player that came over from Colorado. Yeah, You know, he's handling great talent in the NHL. And he, I would imagine, will probably get the start tomorrow night against San Jose. And that's another team, Tomas Hurdle, and they have Logan Couture, and they have Eric Carlson, who can always be a danger offensively. So, and also we can't sleep on the Kings either. I mean, they have a lot of really good offensive talent. You still got Isaac Kopitar, you still got Jeff Carter, you still got these other guys who can score well. Well, when Jeff I Carter see... can't score from two feet in front of the net. Well, okay, yeah, in 2010, <laughs> I... yeah, it was, yeah. 
Actually, you know, you, forget. Me- and, you know, Santa, you mentioned all this offensive talent for Los Angeles. I agree with you, but you would be stunned to know that the Kings have the second least amount of goals yeah. in the Western Conference, yeah. only, tri- only, you know, followed by the Anaheim Ducks for right, least amount right. of goals. So, you know, these are teams that have all this offensive talent, and we're going to play some really hard teams over this West Coast trip. The game that I'm looking most forward to is going to Phoenix to seeing if they can right their wrong the way that they played against them at home and maybe sneak a win out of there. It's a tough but game. San Jose, Anaheim, Kings, give me three good reasons why they will not win at least two out of three of those. That's yeah, tough. I mean, offensive talent is the first thing that pops in. Um, I mean, maybe some goaltending here and there. But again, like you're saying... I'll, like, are you afraid of Martin Jones in, in San Jose? Not entirely, no. I think, you know, he was a disappointment in the playoffs. I was going to say, like, again, like, it's weird. When you see the, when you think about these guys' past, you think about him, you think about Jonathan Quick, you see their past, you think to yourself, okay, they, they've had a really successful career, but their talent's just not not translating so far into this, into this game, but or into the season. But the third reason, I would think, is trap games. When I see these three games, the first thing that pops in my head is trap games. Mm-hmm. These are games where you can't just go into them thinking, you know, it's the San Jose Sharks have been playing like crap all year, or it's the LA Kings. They're one of the worst teams in the league. We should be able to trash this team. You're still playing in their. You're still playing in their arena. You're still away. You're about three hours away. You you still have to worry about their offensive talent, their defensive talent, which they have a lot of. Even though it hasn't been translating, it's one of those games where you go into it thinking to yourself, you're going to walk all over them. They're going to take advantage of that, and you can't let them do that. Mm-hmm. All these teams have really experienced players. you got Joe Thornton from the Sharks, Ryan Getzloff from the Ducks. you got Anze Kopitar, Jeff Carter, these guys who are Stanley Cup winning players on the LA Kings. I mean, these guys are experienced. They're waiting for an opportunity like that. They're waiting for an opportunity to get a bounce back and try to set their season correctly. Now is the time for these teams. Now is the time. Yeah. If you want, no, I listen, you're right. If you want a St. Louis Blues type comeback, you want a St. Louis Blues type Stanley Cup story, now's the time to start kicking it off right after the break. They're coming in fresh. They're going to try to play their hearts out, essentially, so we need to be prepared. Well, let's talk about, uh, for a moment, things that must improve for the Flyers going forward. And I look at three areas that I think they can improve on. Uh, first thing they, I think that I say that they stay in games. Teams seem to get the jump on them a little early, and they seem to kind of hang with teams, and then they might be able to overtake them. I want to see faster starts. I want to see first five minutes of the game. Let's get the first goal. Let's set the tone for the day, and that's really key, especially when you're on the road, because the last thing you want to hear is you know the Sharks' goal horn going off with two minutes passed in the first period. And you're like, all right, we're already in ourselves a hole. Because that's you know these are three fan bases that do genuinely care about their hockey teams in the Ducks, Sharks, yeah. oh, and Kings. Yeah. Big time. So the other thing that I want to talk about though is power play has to get better. Absolutely. There's, Absolutely. This is probably the worst aspect of the Flyers team right now. Yeah, I would say. And I would have never thought that the Flyers are 15th in the league in power play at 19.5 percent. How they don't have a better power play is beyond me. When you look at the playmakers on this team. Oh yeah, I mean without I know, a doubt. I don't know what's doubt. going on. Now, I don't know if this is a Vino thing. I don't know if it's just players not executing. I have no clue. But 19.5%, you're telling me, you're telling me that the Montreal Canadiens have a better power play than the Philadelphia Flyers or the Florida freaking Panthers have a better power play than the Philadelphia Flyers. That can't be the case anymore. They have a good penalty kill. They just need to bring it in. They need to just rein it in on the power play 
because a good power play for the Flyers with the amount of penalties that they can cause, and they have, oh, yeah. you know, they have, you know, really forced a lot of penalties on other teams. Yeah, need to start taking advantage of these opportunities. Yeah, they're a much more disciplined team than they were a couple of years ago. Um, it's it's showing heavily with with their numbers essentially. But yeah, like you said, I mean, they have a lot of opportunities. They need to capitalize way more on them. I mean, you got guys like Kevin Hayes. He's a big dude. You can put him down down low in front. He's got a lot of talent. James Van Reems, like another guy. I mean. The list goes on and on and on of the amount of offensive talent they can use. I mean, Shane Gossesberry, Claude Giroux, Jacob Voracek. The, the the names just keep coming. They just keep coming. Travis Connecting. I mean, come on. There, there's no excuse for them to be 15th. I'm not saying I'm, I'm you know extremely disappointed by it. We're not the worst oh, in I the am. league. But they need, to me, when you look at their talent, they should be a top five power play team. No I th- doubt. I think that they should be a top five power play team. And speaking of uh, staying on special teams, their penalty kill had a bit of a tail off, and I think it had a lot to do with that three game road trip where they got smashed pretty much. Oh, yeah. Went from like 87% to 83%. Still top 10 in the league. It's number eight in the league, trailing Edmonton, Carolina, St. Louis, Boston, Calgary, Washington, San Jose. With the exception of San Jose, all the teams I just mentioned are probable playoff teams. So I think that that'll get back on track, but. You know, your, your first game's against San Jose, and they have the best penalty kill in the league. So if right. you get a power play. You're gonna have to find a way to just take advantage. Yeah, and to me, when you think again, when you think about sports just in general, you think about the competitiveness and you think about the challenges. How you look forward to these challenges. I want I I want to see a power play goal against San Jose. I want them to come out of this break, understand their their struggles on the power play so far this season. If the opportunity arises, they need to score. They need to. Let me just lay out what's ahead of the Flyers right now. They lead the. Penguins and the Hurricanes for the third uh, place in metro in the Metropolitan by one point. They have 47 points, and the Penguins and the Hurricanes both have 46 points. They trail the New York Islanders by two points for the second uh, place in Metropolitan. They're probably not catching the Washington Capitals, but I think it's worth mentioning something about this team. Second place in the Metro is in is within reach they could get it now the islanders have a couple games in hand on the flyers so you have to also consider that yeah, but you know what home ice would mean to this team in the first round of the playoffs that would mean everything yeah, i mean given their win percentage at home at 13 2 and 4 that that is huge and then you look huge. at the team above them and how they play at home and you realize that home ice is going to be critical especially mm-hmm. and if you if they're not playing at the if they have to go to the nassau coliseum or if they have to go to the Energy Console Center in Pittsburgh, you know, come on now. That's, oh, you know, yeah. that's going to be tough on them. Oh, absolutely. And again, another one, like like you just said, Pittsburgh, 14-4-2 at home so far. Pittsburgh's always historically one of the best yeah. home teams in the NHL. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, home, home ice advantage would be great. It'd be fantastic. Not that I don't trust this team on the road, but I don't trust it nearly as much as I do at home. I mean, at home, there's a level of confidence that they have. And that essentially becomes like a cycle almost where it's almost like a placebo effect where just by playing at home they have this extra level of confidence that feels like a cushion where they just play much better because they're expecting to win so i think it helps both again physically and way bigger mentally just being able to play at home and you know this is an opportunity for them to gain some momentum though on the road they have what is it a four? I think I believe it's four or five games straight on the road. I believe it's I think five. It's, it's six actually. Is it six? Because it is. Yeah, it is San Jose, Anaheim, the Kings, and those ones again. I don't like to ever say any games are easy games or easy points. Those to me, the, those are so, trap games. Yeah, so it is six in total. It's five on the West. 
Yes. Vegas and, and Arizona is going to be that's going to be a, that's, that's going to be tough. a schloid. I, I don't know how you pull even two points out of that, but uh, Carolina, they've beaten them, I believe, two times to start the season, two or three times. They will have a decent chance at you know making it a perfect three and zero. They beat them once. Yeah, they beat one? them twice. Twice. Yeah. So it's two times. So this will be their third meeting, second on the road against Carolina. Carolina is a team that did not lose to them at all last year, by the way. Oh, and yeah. now all of a sudden, Flyers are taking the first two. Yeah. Then they've got Washington, tough game, but it's yeah. at home. You'll have an opportunity to win that. But the game after that's the game that I'm most focused on. Tempe. It's all about beating teams that are worse than you. It's something that I oh, wish. Yeah. The, it's yeah. a, it's a situation that I wish the Philadelphia 76ers would care more about right. when it comes to beating teams <laughs> that are worse than you. The Tampa Bay Lightning are the most interesting team of this season. The most interesting. Firstly, John Tortorella is my favorite head coach in hockey. So when I saw him tactically ragdoll John Cooper and the Tampa Bay Lightning, it was like watching the Super Bowl all over again for me. <laughs> it was like, here's an example of all flat, you know, when you have all this flash and trash, and it doesn't mean anything. Because guess what? In the playoffs, you don't score eight goals a game the way this Tampa Bay team was right, able to do right. on the regular in the regular yeah. season. Oh, yeah. Tampa Bay is the most interesting team, and that's a team that they're better than and they should beat. Boston, tough game. St. Louis, tough game. So it's going to be a tough month of January. But when I look at this schedule and I look at how this team plays, I see them coming out once again with another winning record in the month of January. I do too. Again, the the three games at the end of December here, the San Jose Sharks, the Ducks, and the Kings, there's no excuse. They should beat these teams. Um, again, I do say they're you know they're trapped. Get games, three. Get but, listen. We talked about it before. Get three out of six for those three. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, like you said, Vegas and Arizona. Those are going to be really tough games, especially in those stadiums, especially in Vegas, Arizona. I, I don't think they have quite as much of a home ice presence as, as some other teams, like the San Jose Sharks, like the LA Kings, like the actually, Vegas Golden Knights. You would be correct. I didn't even. I I, I thought about this. Arizona is eight nine and one at home. They're yeah. thirteen five and three on the road, which is. Really interesting. It's really interesting. Um, it's that it reminds me of an backwards. old. It reminds me of the two thousand five, two thousand six Flyers because they actually had a winning record on the road. Yeah, and we're not very good at home. So they played in the first round of the playoffs against the Buffalo Sabers. You know what happened though? They mm-hmm. lost the first two at, at, at on the road, despite being a better team on the road. Won the next two at home. And then got smoked in the final two games to lose the series. <laughs> that's the famous R.J. Umberger just getting crushed. Oh by, yes, that's yeah. in that series. That was a tough one, man. Uh, that's the one no, of those replays got, I don't like to watch. He yeah. got destroyed. Uh, but what I like is right after the Arizona game, then they have two days off, right? So then they fly back, they go over to Carolina. You take that, you know, west to east road trip. You get back. You have two days to kind of regroup, get you know, wash off a little little bit of jet lag that you might have. Play against the Carolina Hurricanes, who again they've beaten twice already this season. Um, they should. And then they should split the caps. They should split one of those two games. If they lose to Carolina, I think they have to beat Washington. But if they beat Carolina, I think they'll play a little bit looser against Washington. You know, they won't be as afraid. Tampa Bay, I think they should win. Yeah. Boston, I expect them. Game. I expect them to lose against Boston. But if you remember, we beat Boston in a shootout in Boston the last time we played. Yeah, we've we've always played Boston tough. I mean, I remember from a couple years ago when we were not a playoff team. I think it was a 2014-15 season. We were not a playoff team, and they were, and yet we were still beating them. You know, every well, once that's, in a that's while. Well, that's just Flyers Bruins hockey. Uh, yeah, they 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 are the you know non-conference rival essentially uh, that we have the biggest one, and I think it's just a Northeast thing. Well, it's Boston and Philly. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's Eagles, Patriots, Sixers, Celtics, and then yeah. definitely uh, Bruins, Flyers. St. Louis, 
on the road, I, I have no expectation for or reason to think that they will just go into St. Louis and win that game against the defending champions. Right. St. Louis is playing phenomenal hockey. They're looking like they're the next great team of the West. Yeah, at they this had point. they had a little bit of a hangover at the beginning of the season, but they you know they they, they snapped right out back. of it. Yep. And then they have Montreal coming up, which that's a kind of a tri- that's a trickier game. You know, Montreal all of a sudden is a much more improved team, and they're playing better hockey all of a sudden. So I would think they could win the game. They've won their first two meetings. Well, that's going to be a tough one. Yeah, it being at home definitely helps a little oh, bit. Oh, absolutely. And but, then and, and the same follows for the next game against the Los Angeles Kings and then followed by the Pittsburgh Penguins. And again, I, I love that. The fact we play against the Kings, then we have two days off and play against Pittsburgh. And then we hit the All-Star break. And they hit the All-Star break. I, I think that's that's just great. I honestly really i am looking forward to that. They should win that L.A. King game. Again, I don't like saying any team is easy. No team is easy. There is no such thing as easy points in the NHL. However, they should beat that team. There's no want, excuse for them to beat the Kings. Let me make Kings. a prediction for you. Carter Hart's going to start against St. Louis. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Brian Elliott will start against St. Louis. Okay, former team. I like it. Carter Hart will get Montreal. Right. Elliott will get the Kings game. And then they're going to save Hart for that game against the Penguins. Because he got lit up against Pittsburgh. And yeah. it would mean the world, I think, to Carter Hart to tell him, listen, this is your game. Go in there and show the Pittsburgh Penguins that this dominance that they've had over us over the last number of years, it's over. It's time to end this. No more losing 7-1. to one. No more losing 6-2. to two. No more getting tripped and not getting the tripping call and then allowing... <laughs> I'm so bitter about that game yeah, I can, still. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was... We weren't going far in the playoffs, but that was definitely a tripping penalty. It, it know, does lead in, back to the It does kind of lead into my next uh, segment, though, which is our fondest memories. <laughs> Ironically, our fondest leads in <laughs> our fondest memories over the decade, which I was thinking about coming into today. I was thinking about you know what I might talk to you about. Uh, I mean, you got to go. You got to go back to the early two thousands or early two thousand tens, essentially, when you really want to think about the well, great moments. When they right? when they won the Eastern Conference is pro- is definitely my number one. But there's so many other things. That 2010 season was just a really good season as a whole. It was just fun, man. It was just so much fun. You know, I don't know how much you thought about it. I remember when they when they won that final game of the season against the Rangers in a shootout, no less. Yes, Danny and Brie. Danny Briere. Never forget who. Yeah, who were the two guys that scored the goals in the shootout? Danny Brie and uh, Claude Giroux. Yes, and then Mike Richards missed it. Who was the one guy that scored for the Rangers? Do you oh. know? I don't. I want you to say it. I'll remember, but I don't. P.A. Parento was the one that scored. <laughs> P.A. Parento. I I love yeah, that. Good for him, dude. You know. Do you know who missed the final shot? I don't know. Oliokin. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yep. The guy that was like a star on the Florida Panthers yes, and then was. went over to the Rangers. But when and I they were great in shootoffs too. Shootouts too. They, well, they Both him there and his was. Brother. I mean, yeah. they wasted away like the final minute of that overtime because they're like, "Well, we got Henrik, Henrik Lundqvist. Why wouldn't we play right. for the shootout?" And in their defense, I mean, it is Henrik Lundqvist. Pretty solid Boucher. logic. Yeah. It just didn't go their just way. Didn't work. Yeah, didn't work out for him. So, one thing I want to mention with this team uh, going into that playoffs is that they they had they were the seventh seed. They were going up against the New Jersey Devils. Mm-hmm. I remembered getting thinking. I feel really good about getting the Devils. I think a lot of Philly fans thought felt pretty good about getting the Devils because we had beaten them pretty handily throughout the season. Yeah. Game one happens. They won that game. I knew they were winning the series. Once they won that first game, I was like, there's no question in my mind. Dan yeah. Carcillo's heroics in game three when he's Ugh. looking for someone to hug when he scored that game, that <laughs> overtime goal. And then I remember getting Boston not knowing any – I had no idea how to feel about that series. Yeah, me neither. I remember feeling nervous because – 
at that, at that time, 2010, you're playing against a Dano Chara. I'm I'm scared already. I mean, he guy was a bruiser back in the day. I mean, you don't you watch him now. He's like a tamed old dad, essentially playing with the boys. He doesn't really, you know, he doesn't he can really barely get wild skate. Up. Yeah, <laughs> but him back then, I mean, if you looked at a Boston Bruin player the wrong way, now he was you giving you he him. was giving you some. Why the Ottawa Senators let him go to a rival, I will never know. But you know, they also had guys like Johnny Boychuk, Johnny who Boychuk, was yeah. he? He was like a real tenacious player. Yeah, back then they had uh, who else was it? It was uh, Nathan Horton. Nathan Horton. He was a killer. Uh, they Milan had Lucic. He Milan Lucic. Great. They had David Krejci. They had uh, there was another one. Michael Ryder. I liked Michael Ryder, Michael Ryder yeah. a lot. They so had, they, uh, Tim Thomas and and. Uh, well, he didn't Rask. start that series. He didn't start that series. It was it was Tuka's Tuka series. Rask, yeah, which, a young Tuka Rask. When you look back at that time, that was, that was a tremendous goalie tandem. I mean, you got Tim Thomas, who was going to be a Stanley Cup winning goaltender the next season, and Tuka Rask, who I think personally is still one of the most underrated goaltenders in the league. He's I mean, right he's now. Been it's so between consistently good for years now. So they go down in that series one zero. They lose in overtime. That was a tough one, but I actually felt good. That was you know they took them to overtime. So this is going to be a tough series. Lose game two in a game yeah. that I mean I don't know if they were ever ever really in. Lose game three despite taking an early two nothing lead in that game. Yeah, that one was the, the real like when the, I, when that game when we lost that game. That's when I started thinking I I, I thought it was over. Yeah. I mean the way you the way they lost that way it just completely destroys your morale. So then I remember leaving my garage to go to school like I think the morning of game four, and I thought you know it, it's possible you could come back down three now again you have to remember people i was uh i was i don't even think i was 14 yet at that point so my in my head it's like oh, winning four straight shouldn't be that difficult if they win three straight why can't we win three straight it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work that way exactly so they win yeah, I think there's some statistics that'll you know, they win game four today. game five comes dominate the hell out of them yeah. that wasn't even close but that was also the game that they lost brian boucher and who comes back in the net Michael, Michael Layton, who had one of the weirdest careers. The greatest AHL goaltender ever, right? <laughs> I mean, dude, he has a tremendous Stanley Cup run as an AHL goaltender. So many Flyers fans don't even remember that this was his second stint with the Flyers. People forget that in 2006-2007, he started, I believe, just one game for the Flyers. Mm -hmm. He beat the Detroit Red Wings of all teams in a <laughs> decrepit season for the Flyers. By a final score of six to one, and Detroit was a phenomenal team in the in, in mid two thousands. They were phenomenal. they were they were a juggernaut. Oh yeah, and so Michael Layton, you know, does what he does in that game, but then they, you never thought, all right, I'll never hear from him again. Right, but here he is starting game six, and Flyers taking an early one nothing lead. Danny Briere had like one of the weirdest goals that I ever seen in that game. They win that game two to one, and it sets up the stage for what I'm about to tell you for what is my second favorite moment ever. Really in Flyers history, but most definitely in this in this past decade. Me, me personally, is my favorite. I can understand down. it. Listen, if you tell me it's more of a favorite than winning the Eastern Conference, I have no problems. It with is, this. yeah. Um, they go down one nothing. The all important first goal. They go down two nothing, and then before you can blink an eye, this game's over. Right? It's yeah, three, nothing. three nothing. And everything changed. You just see Peter Laviolette call that timeout. And he, it be, it became a signature. He was the king of timeouts. He was. Nobody understood did the same thing against Pittsburgh like a couple years later. Did. Yeah, he he tore it up at timeouts. Um, and I think, yeah, the the, the thing that really changed everything was the Van Riems like goal, the first the one, we, the but ugliest little tiniest little slip under Tukarask's pad. That's why I think everything changed. It wasn't that he scored the goal; it was how he scored the goal. It was so stoppable. 
It was so stoppable. It broke a stick. It was the easiest goal, essentially, to stop. It was tr- literally trailing in. It wasn't even a shot. It was trailing in, mm-hmm. and it got in, and that, that was it. I mean, it was over at that point. And then point. Scott like, Hartnell scores from a weird angle. Pretty much the red line. Yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty much the goal line, yeah. essentially. And then Danny Briere fires in like a cannon, does the wraparound. They had reviewed it to make sure it was a goal. It was obviously a goal. I don't know if you remember. There was a near goal for the Flyers. Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember. Because it was a goal. I don't care what anybody says. Thank you. (laughs) That was a goal, dude. (laughs) They always said it wasn't. They were saying, oh, we we don't see any white between the puck and the line. That was such a goal. It's not even funny. They did whatever they could to help out Boston right there. Yeah, that one was tough. You can can see, as Tuka Rask's pad, behind the red line, mind you. Oh, yeah. As the puck hits his pad while it's behind the red line. Easily a goal. If that's a a Flyers goalie, they're calling that a goal. (laughs) But yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, it's, it felt fitting that it was Simone Gagne that gets the final goal. And yeah. really, it felt fitting that the that they didn't score an empty net goal after that. That It felt right, fitting to be right. a 4-3 victory. Yeah. You were down in the series 3-0. You're down in the game 3-0. You win the series 4-3. You win the game 4-3. It, it was, was just, so poetic. I mean, it was so poetic. And then, you know, moving on from, like, the other moments that I've loved throughout this decade... Uh, the shift from Mike Richards. Shift, yeah. I mean, one of the greatest moments. Diving uh, underneath of Yaroslav Halak. It, that I love thinking about. How oh, once that he was. scored that, I, I, I'm sure Canadian fans are like, "Yeah, this game's over." Oh yeah, I mean, win. you think they collided, and all of a sudden you see him just slide right out underneath. And the ball, and, and the puck, the ball, the puck just pinballs right I mean, to the crease. Yeah, it was meant to be. I, I don't know if there's hockey gods, but they were there that day. Mm-hmm. If they exist. oh yeah, um, Claude Drew's overtime winner against the Chicago Blackhawks in Beautiful the. Goal, mm-hmm. yeah. Almost the entire Pittsburgh Philadelphia series from 2012. You can oh. list any moment from that. Oh, you, you can you can you know Claude Giroux the shift. I mean, he had uh, the shift. Destroys Sidney Crosby then scores 32, scores 32 seconds, seconds into the game. In, yeah, yeah. Uh, my favorite game in that series, personally, a lot of people will probably say Game Three. Mine was Game Two. They go down two nothing in that game early against Pittsburgh. Crosby scored 15 seconds in. Yeah, and. And I mean, they were they were favorites to win the Stanley Cup that season. They were. That was their Cup year. Essentially. But people forget that we we really had taken them behind the woodshed that season. There oh were, yeah. Like oh, Scott Hartnell's yeah. last second overtime goal during the regular season. Mm-hmm. Uh, we beat them six to four, like on one of the final days of the season. That was yeah. when Breer got the Breer cheap got, shot. Breer got hit by Vitali. Yep. Yeah, Vitali. I forgot. Who yeah, that and then was. Wayne, I remember because Wayne Simmons squared off against Derek Englund, and I, you know, Wayne Simmons is a tough sob. But I'm watching it. And I'm thinking to myself like, uh, uh, I don't know if you would. I would do that, dude. Uh. You know, there, were, still, there, were just, there were just so many key guys from that 2012 team. I really thought after they won that series, they were just destined to win the Cup. Maxime Talbot was awesome in that series Remember, against... Uh, Kubina? Pavel Kubina. Pavel Kubina. Yeah, he, was, he didn't want to be traded to Philadelphia. He was he was content with being a Tampa Bay Lightning player. Yeah. They had Braden Coburn still. Kimo Timonen was still per, uh, producing at a high level. Scott Hartnell was, I think, at the peak of his Flyers tenure. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, you know, they just took it to them. And... This this entire if you ask Pittsburgh fans about the series, I've talked to a few Pittsburgh fans about that twenty twelve series. They always come back to one play in that series. Well, Briar was offside, so really we should have won the series. <laughs> I'm like, he was offsides. There's no question that he was offsides. But you know what? We were just better than you. I was say yeah. To, to say like, that they should have won the series, you were up three nothing in the game. So thing. to say that because the game went from three nothing to three to one, therefore that caused what was to come in losing a series four games to two. Yeah, right. Stop. Yeah. That's, Stop. It. That's a little ridiculous. What happened was the Penguins' emotions. They they could not believe what was happening to them. They couldn't believe it. There yeah. was like there was no way this is we're cup favorites. You know we've we've beaten this team before in the playoffs. What's happening to us? And what happened was. You ran into a team with more grit. 
Yeah, you ran into a team that essentially wanted it more. That was had had a chip on their shoulder because everybody was talking about that in the exact way you're talking about it. That Pittsburgh should have won this game. They mm-hmm. beat them multiple times in the playoffs before. They're the Stanley Cup favorite team. They, there's no they have way more talent, more depth, better goaltending, everything. You check every box where they were supposedly better. I, and you know you'll remember other moments from that series. Aaron Asham, you know, punching Braden Shen in the back of the head. Yeah, uh, yeah. James Neal's cheap shot on Sean Couturier. I mean that was. That was the angriest I remember the Philadelphia fan base. I mean, I remember seeing on Facebook statuses, I mean, guys wishing people like Aaron Asham and James Neal dead because, I mean, of, uh, because of that series. It, it got ugly. And don't get me wrong. Those those plays were egregious. The James I, Neal one really, really bothers me, even to the, to, to, till today. You're a referee. I, I, you're looking toward the puck. How do you not see one guy just slam another guy Who's not near the puck? I can't speak to the refs right in front of your face. I can't speak to the refs missing that, but I I still to this day believe James Neal was told to go take out Couturier because he was doing a phenomenal job, you know, taking you know uh, Malkin out of that series. I, I think it was a hit job on Couturier. I mean, yeah, like we could talk about conspiracies all day long, but like I I think that one actually has some merit to it because then his very next shift he goes after and tries to headhunt Giroux mm-hmm. and barely misses with an elbow because Giroux saw him at the last second and still clipped his helmet a little bit. Yeah, Giroux was woozy. Yeah. You know, he got up a little shaky, but and then what did the Flyers do? They did the right thing. They said, screw this game. We got to go after these guys. They went after Kubino, went after whoever the heck it was. Uh, Coburn. The, the big one was Coburn. Coburn went after Malkin. Yeah. I mean, they, were, they were battling all over the ice for an entire shift. And then just them too. when I think Scott Hartnell grabbed Sidney Crosby, Craig Adams then grabbed. That no, was the opposite way around. Hartnell grabbed Craig Adams. Crosby then came up behind. Hartnell oh, that's right. And grabbed him from behind. And then Craig Adams got back into it got with back a fight, into it and, and they sort of punched him while Crosby was holding pulled, on to him. Pulled his pulled his hair. Pulled his hair. Yeah. And then you see Cardinal saying the words. You see that he pulled my yeah. hair. <laughs> yeah, dude. It it, it, it was, was a really fun series, oh, but it was you, you it, just felt so angry in the moment, like yeah. when you see you know uh, James Neal going across the ice, and you see Wayne Simmons getting his face. You're like, oh. punch him, spear him, oh, yeah. do something, just end his end his life right now. Yeah. But looking back on it now, when we watch now, I'm. I'm cracking up. Oh, time, it's so it's funny. Great. It's great. It's Tarian, such good stuff. You ever hear Chris Tarian's rant? Oh, the radio rant? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What's to say someone shouldn't just go over there and knock him out? <laughs> that was, and people will look at that and be like, oh, that's ridiculous. But that was the mood of the series. Oh, yeah. Those yeah. teams, it was the height of Flyers-Penguins hockey. That's what started the, the I don't like them meme. I started that. I don't like him. Was with Sidney Crosby going on? I don't like him. I don't like him. And they're like, who, who? Like anybody? The whole team. The whole. T- I don't like any of them. It was I so, don't like them. We would bring peng- stuffed penguins with a noose around their neck <laughs> to the stadium. Hey, you know what? You know what? When we would go to Montreal back in the seventies, the Broad Street Bully days, they would hang mannequin flyer players off the rafters. So you know what? I, you know, to each his own. We all we all do some some messed up stuff like that. If you look in our Montreal history, fans they have their own. They, they you know. They demonized their own great goalies like Patrick Waugh anyway, so. Yeah, that's. I think they tried to do it to Carey Price, too, and I think Price had to, you know, just brush it off. Yeah, it's a little ridiculous. But after that series, it kind of. That's where it starts to tail off. And then you have Wayne Wayne Simmons' game six hat-trick against the Rangers. That's the one that popped up. Um, Um, Claude Giroux's game-winning goal against Pittsburgh last season during the stadium series played at the link. That was another good one. So, with that being said, we have to talk about. One, just pick one thing that you think you would love to change about the last ten years of Flyers hockey. One decision or one thing that you would change. There's a couple decisions that I'm, I'm not happy with. Um, you know, the Ilya Brzezgalov signing, uh, the Andrew McDonald signing, 
the Mark Streit, uh, the R.J. Umberger trait. The list goes on to things I don't really like. I think the biggest thing I would change, not firing Peter, not firing Peter Laviolette. I probably wouldn't have either. That was that was probably one of the last horrible moves that Ed Snyder had made for the team. Uh, in his, I mean, it was a desperate quest to win a cup. He, I mean, it he, was. he was so afraid of dying without seeing another one. And I don't, I don't blame him because again, we had a lot of a lot of good talent on the team at the time. You know, Claude Giroux. But an zero and three start merits a firing. Right, right. Like, come on. And the other thing I think I would change too is involving Peter Laviolette actually, and it's one of the reasons why I think that Claude Giroux was one of the most underrated players is when he said that Claude Giroux is one of the best players in the world. And I'm not saying he was wrong. I think he was right. But what it did was it essentially had everybody look at Claude Giroux and kind of laugh it off, where they were just like, there's no way he's one of the best. He's not better than Crosby. He's not better than Patrick Kane. That's what all these people were were essentially saying in their heads. And I don't think he is better than those players, essentially. But it then made people just completely write him off completely, altogether, where they weren't even considering him in one of the top five, top ten. But then you look at the, the top scorers of the decade, he's number four. He's one of the most consistent hockey players in recent memory. And I think another thing that doesn't help it, of course, is his you know lack of playoff progress. I but, think that that is a big thing, is that they've never put a team around Giroux that could win a cup. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's one decision that I think I would make that I really wonder what it would have changed. I would have brought back Yarmir Yager. Oh, okay. Um, I was really upset when he left. I mean, he, that, that line of Claude Giroux, Yarmir Yager, and Scott Hardnell was... It was phenomenal. Phenomenal. And it wasn't like it was a constant all year. They they tinkered around with it. You know, they kept moving it around. But ultimately that was the line that was going up against Crosby and Malkin. Yeah. And it was just it was the best line that I had seen in a long time. I really wonder what sometimes, you know, if we have Yager in that series against the Rangers, do the Flyers pull out that game seven? Does it even have to go to seven? Uh, do they maybe get back to the playoffs in twenty thirteen with that tenacious young group? Do they do they win it in the lockout shortened season? It's it's impossible to know. But that and the hiring of Dave Hackstall are two decisions I wish I they could uh, they could have back. I remember during the head coaching search for you know who they're going to hire Hackstall or whoever. I remember wanting I wanted Dan Bowsma actually. Really? Now I was I was mesmerized <laughs> by that shiny Jack Adams trophy. That's what right. was getting me. Right. But. Uh, John Tortorella. I wanted Tortsy, but I think he was already like going he was the to guy, Columbus. He was the guy I wanted. Yeah, John Tortorella. But yeah, and Dave Haxtell, you know, in their defense at the time, you you see him and you think to yourself, okay, you know, he's used to playing with college players. He could develop our younger players. We had an extremely young team at that point, and it just it just didn't work out. Well, that clearly. sounds like culture culture over scheme for me. And I already yeah. know a guy in Philadelphia that loved culture over scheme, and he couldn't beat. <laughs> He couldn't beat the Miami Dolphins in 2015, that's for sure. But then again, I guess neither can Doug Peterson. Uh, but the point, you know, going through these memories is just, you know, you, it makes you honestly yearn for better ones in twenty in the 2020s. And I think that we are all are very close to seeing that. Yeah, we're off to a good start so far, definitely. So before we wrap up, one final thing, Cameron. Let's take a look at this West Coast trip. They have five games coming up on the road. Six. They have six games coming five up on the road. West five Coast, on the West though. Coast. You are correct about that. San Jose, let's make our pick. San Jose, I'm calling a win. I'm going to say they win that game four to two tomorrow night. What are you? What are you? What about you? Uh, you want score and everything? Yeah, sure. Let's go score. Score. I mean, yeah, I would. I would say four to two. I, I'm. That's actually that's solid one for me. Uh, I see it maybe a little bit more higher scoring. I would say maybe five three, mm-hmm. just because their defensemen also are extremely good at scoring. Brett Burns, Eric Carlson. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say more five three, maybe a little bit more higher scoring. Um, and then we got Anaheim right after that. I see, to me, I, I see another 
another 4-1 win. I'm going going to go 3-1. I think that maybe their offense just a little, you know, back-to-back nights, that can be a little, that's going to be a bit of a sloppier game. I think one that they pull out. Uh, I do think the Flyers win that game. Kings going to be a little bit tougher. I think it goes into overtime. I think the Flyers win that game 4-3 to three in overtime. I was going to say 2-1. to one. I, I was going to say the same thing, though. It was going to be a very tough game. The Kings always play us well when mm-hmm. we're playing in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Vegas, tough game. I don't think they win that one. I'll go 3-2 loss in overtime. I think that's maybe that's one of those games. Okay, we're going to go back to overtime. Uh, Arizona, again, kind of don't think they win that one either. I think that maybe that one either goes through a shootout or they just straight up lose that one in regulation. Yeah, I see. Like, I kind of agree. Vegas, I, I see it more 3-1 because I see it being down close to the wire. We pull a goaltender. They score an empty netter. Um, that's kind of how I see that happening. Arizona, I think no matter what happens, it's going to go to overtime because mm-hmm. they're both really good goaltenders and really good defensively have been playing recently. Um, but I I don't know. I, I see us winning. Yeah. I don't know why. I, yeah, I got a I, feeling. I, I would love that. And then road against Carolina. Listen. I see us winning. That I one too. see us winning that game as yeah. well. I think we are just a more tenacious. I keep using that word, but it really fits this team well in my opinion. Yeah. They're just a better team than Carolina. Um, give me three. Give me three to two. I'll take three two. They Carolina gets like a late goal that makes it a little interesting towards the end, but I think that we will control the pace of play throughout most of it, and that'll take us right up to the Washington game. Which I'm not going to make a prediction on because hopefully we'll get another episode in before that. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I would, I, would, I plan on it, of course. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Carolina, I, I, I'd say relatively same. I say either three one or four um, two. I see an empty net goal essentially. Carolina gets relatively close, pulls our goaltender, we seal it. Um, but yeah, the Arizona one. The, the only thing that really to me solidifies that I think the Flyers are going to win that game is just Arizona's home record. Hey, listen, I could, I could very well see that. It's I, that. That's a glaring to me. I'm just hope that we can solve Darcy Kemper or yeah. whoever the heck plays in that game. That'll be the question. Thank you so much for listening to this edition, the second ever episode of the Fly Guys podcast. Be sure to check us out on iTunes and Spotify. Cameron, yes. we're going to be getting working on that. We just yes, got to get a logo. We, we got to get a logo, and we will be on there. And thank you so much for listening. Have a great rest of your holiday season. Let's go Flyers.